want to start this morning by thanking you for the opportunity to take what I am still told is my last class for trim, uh, which means all my classwork is done for ordination, and now there's some paperwork and some interviews to happen, so uh, that's where I was last Sunday. I was sorry that I missed uh, Youth Sunday, uh, but I was out in uh, Richmond, Indiana at Bethany taking that last class. So people were asking how it was, and it was a really good conversation uh, throughout the, the weekend. Some of it happened in class, a lot of it happened outside of class. Uh, so it was good to, to meet with other brothers and sisters there. Uh, speaking of our other brothers and sisters, and, and Sonia, thank you for praying for the things that are happening uh, around our country. I was sitting at a table yesterday at this uh, meeting for the compelling vision of the Church of the Brethren. And one of the people at the, the tables um, had grown up in California, and she said that the Paradise Church of the Brethren lost its church and uh, church building and its parsonage uh, in the fire that's happening out there right now. And I just, I just can't imagine what that would be like to get up, to go to church Sunday morning, and to not have this space here for us to gather. Um, so keep our brothers and sisters there in the Paradise Church in your prayers throughout this week. As we uh, come to uh, the sermon this morning, would you bow your heads for prayer with me? Jesus, this morning I ask um, for the same thing that John talked about that I might decrease and that you might increase this morning. Guide our hearts and our thoughts uh, to be in tune with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So there have been a number of conversations happening around Spring Creek about the subject of worship. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look a little bit more about what worship is. And what do we mean when we are coming to worship? Worship may come in a lot of different forms for many of us. Some of us have times of worship at home, maybe outside of just reading a devotional. Maybe we sing or, or we have a time of prayer. Or maybe we walk out into nature and that's where we worship as we take in the, the awesome creativity of Creator God. Or maybe we walk out into the, the cool, crisp evening and look up at the stars, provided you're not blinded by all of the lights that are happening in the skies besides the natural light. And you look up at the stars and you think about the vastness of God. These are opportunities for us to worship. Maybe, maybe you read scripture and you contemplate or you meditate on what that passage means. Uh, there's a practice called Lectio Divina in which you take just a very small section of scripture, a sentence or a phrase, and you just sit pondering, what, does, what is God speaking to me in just this little phrase? And sometimes it's just a word that jumps out, grace, love, and you just think about what God's love must mean. What does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for the world? These are ways that we can worship. 
We might worship in different places. We might worship at work. We might worship with our family. Some of us define worship based on what we prefer in a corporate worship service. Over the last week, I've asked some people across different age spectrums about what worship is about to them. And I asked three questions, and these are three questions that we can each think about. What is worship? What is the essence, the the core, the heart of worship? Second question is, why do we worship? Why do we worship individually? Why do we gather together as a community to worship? And the third question is, what parts of worship help you most to focus on God? And I got back some different answers. Most had something to do with focusing on God or our relationship with God. So let's talk about what worship is. Worship as a response to who God is and what God has done. In the passage that Katie read for us this morning out of John 3, it's a story where John's disciples begin to see Jesus baptizing. And they see all of the people coming to Jesus, not John. And they go to John and they say, John, Everyone's going to Jesus to be baptized, but this is kind of your gig. Baptism is your thing. I mean, it's, it's right there in your name, John T. Baptist. They see Jesus hoarding in on John's action. At least that's how they see it. But John's reply is that Jesus wouldn't be doing this. People wouldn't be coming to him if it wasn't given from heaven. John says, basically, I told you, I was not the Messiah. That's what I said. I came to point to someone else. Different places John's talked about is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. He's there pointing to someone else. He's not the main attraction. He uses this uh, image of a best man. And he says, I'm there to help prepare things for the wedding, but the wedding's not about me. When you go to a wedding, the best man may be very handsome, and uh, the, the maid of honor may look beautiful. But you didn't come for the man of honor or the bridesmaids. You came because of the groom and the bride. They are the main attraction. They are what it's all about. John gets to the heart of it all in verse 30 where he says, He must increase, talking about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. I need to get out of the way. My role is diminishing, and I want to continue to point people to Jesus. In one instance, John encourages his followers to go and talk to Jesus, and they begin to follow Jesus. He must increase, and I must decrease. See, I think worship isn't about me or making me happy. Worship is a response of love and joy for what God, through Jesus, has done. Over this series, you'll hear some thoughts from 
different people that I asked about worship. This morning, as our preparation for worship thought, uh, we read something that uh, Gern Sr. had said when I asked him about what worship is. And he said, you are who you are. And as I was thinking about this week, I thought, I am who I am in, in all my mess, in all my brokenness, in all my pride and ego. I am who I am. And God is who God is, shown most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, who comes with love and grace and truth. Jesus comes to redeem and restore and to renew. He comes to abide and stay with us. And my response to my understanding my brokenness and understanding God's love and grace, my response is called worship. Worship can be lived out in so many ways. We can worship in the way we live our lives. We can worship through contemplating the hugeness, the vastness of God. We can marvel at the grace and the mercy of God who goes to extraordinary lengths to be reunited with humanity, to mend our brokenness, to mend our sinfulness. We all become people pointing to the main point. We all take the role of John who says, it's not about me, it's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about what he did on the cross. It's about his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is what worship is about, to point to the real reason, to point to the main part of the story, the main focus of the story. This is what worship is. We can stand in awe of the beauty and the majesty, the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And we can do this worshiping in so many ways. This morning we did it in prayer, in singing, in offering our resources of time. You got up this morning, you came. Our talent, the Vintons shared music with us, others have played and led worship. They've shared their abilities and their gifts. You all have joined in singing hymns. We can share our treasure. Other ways that we could worship is walking through nature. I talked to a number of people that for them, worship was just going out and being with the Creator. Walking and enjoying that personal relationship can do it through meditating on scripture. But worship is a response to who God is. And the people of God have always come together to worship, to offer something more than we ourselves can do as an individual. That's why I think one of the reasons why we gather together to worship. One of the beautiful expressions, I think, of worship in community is singing. When I sing by myself, which I think can be worship, I can just sing the melody. But when we come together, we can sing in harmony. We can offer something more together than we might be able to do by ourselves. It's a beautiful expression of worship 
there's something unique and beautiful when the people of God come together to proclaim the glory of God. In Scripture, uh, we see a number of things about worship. In the Old Testament, worship is a response to God. The primary word used for worship in the Old Testament, kawa, I think is how you say it. But it means to bow down, to, to prostrate oneself. Worship in, in Scripture is far more um, involved, participatory, rather than just observing worship. You moved with your body. You sang with your voices. There were smells and sights. It involved a lot of different parts to worship. The Old Testament, we see worship involving clapping. It must not have been brethren. Playing all kinds of musical instruments. We have drums, cymbals, stringed instruments. It's interesting, no organ or piano. Singing, and here, certainly not brethren, there was dancing involved. They prayed and read scripture. But the main focus of worship was on sacrifice. Sacrifices of atonement, of thanksgiving, animal sacrifices, grain offerings, tithes and offerings, drink offerings. It was centered around sacrifice. I wonder what our worship might look like if we focused on sacrifice. I wonder how much sacrifice goes into our worship today. But we might say, well, we're a New Testament church. That Old Testament thing, we don't do that sacrificing thing anymore. Which is right, we don't kill animals and we're not lining up to slaughter anything this morning. But in the New Testament, sacrifice isn't about animals being offered out of routine or tithes and offerings out of a sense of duty. Rather, we are called to give ourselves, even to sacrifice ourselves, our desires, our wants, our comforts, our agendas. The writer of Hebrews instructs followers of Jesus to offer a sacrifice of praise. The writer of Romans instructs the believers to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So sacrifice of ourselves continues to be a picture of what worship is. It's great that scripture doesn't lay out a uh, order of worship for us to follow. But we do have a number of early Christian worship material that's reflected in Scripture. We have hymns that are found in Luke chapter 1. Mary's Magnificat was sung by the early church. We have doxologies in Romans 16 and, and in some other places. We have prayers that the early church recited, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. It's been a prayer that the church has recited for centuries. We have confessional statements in 1 Corinthians 15. We have different early Christian elements of worship. They prayed. 1 Timothy 2 talks about praying in worship. We have singing in Ephesians 5. We have teaching in Acts 2. Preaching in Philippians 1. 
collection of offerings in 1 Corinthians 16 and public reading of Scripture that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. But Scripture points time and time again that the outward elements of the service aren't really what matters. That's not really what it's about. See, Isaiah talked about people talking a good game, but their hearts being far from God. Their worship had turned into, into a routine. God says, I will do shocking and amazing things with this people. And Jesus quotes that, in a, uh, quotes Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15. Where your heart is, is what matters. Turning and focusing on God is what matters. Not just doing things out of routine. Elsewhere in John's version of the gospel, there's this interesting story in John chapter 4 of Jesus meeting with this Samaritan woman at the well. And when Jesus is really trying to talk to her uh, about her life and about living water, she tries to change the subject. It, let's talk about anything else. Let's talk about the particulars of worship. And she says, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, and you think all worship has to be done in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans, we worship on Mount Gerizim. Where's the proper place to worship? She's focused on the details of worship. Where's the right place? In the church, outside the church, in the temple, outside the temple? We might substitute any other number of particulars there. And Jesus' response is that the place doesn't matter. The temple, up on the mountain, at home, God desires is those who come in worship in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of worship that God desires. As a community of worshipers, we keep practicing week after week at worshiping together. And some weeks were great. We hit the notes, everything goes according to plan. We sing, we pray, we feel the Spirit together moving in our midst. And some weeks, things distract us. A few weeks ago, I got really distracted by technology just going haywire in both services. And I'll be honest with you, it was a struggle for me that morning to worship because I was just so focused on all of the details. And sometimes as the pastor I think about all the details of worship, and it is hard for me to come and focus on worship. A couple months ago, shortly after, well, I guess it was shortly after I started, I asked some of the deacons to meet with me before the service just to pray. And for me, that's a time to say, the preparation's done, and now it's time to worship. It's a great thought, and some mornings it works, and some mornings it doesn't. I can get too distracted by the things going on. Maybe something or some part of worship is a distraction to you. Maybe it's a child rummaging around for a snack or arguing with his brother. Those are probably my kids. <laughs> the alternative for us, though, is to have no kids in worship. 
and we start to die out. But I think God finds our attempts, broken and messed up as they may be, to be a beautiful thing if our hearts are really in it. I don't think God minds the note in measure 87 that the tenors missed in their choir piece. I don't think he minds the child singing off key or the adult who's making a joyful noise to the Lord off key. I'm not sure God minds as much when the pastor gets a little long-winded. I think God loves the faces and the joy of a couple of youth playing the drums, enjoying the spirit at work in and through and around them. I'm sorry I missed that last week. I think God loves that his people have come together to offer something more than they might offer alone. I think God loves his people offering their collective self to God in sacrifice, saying, God, we love you. We are grateful to you for calling us to something more. God, we confess our brokenness. We confess that we are still people in need of forgiveness and grace. Jesus, take our offering of ourselves and mold us, shape us, form us into the people you desire us to be, to do your mission in the world. And next week, we'll try to improve our worship. Maybe we'll get a little closer to getting our worship right, whatever that means. Next week, maybe we'll come a little more focused on God. Maybe we'll work a little more to get the notes right. We'll see what we can do to get our tech stuff less, less of a distraction. But if our hearts are turned toward God, if we resolve to be together in worship that is pleasing to God, I think God will love that. To the heart of worship, the core of what it is, is about sacrifice. Offering everything we are and have and ever hope to be to God. It's about praising God for who God is and what God has done. Worship is our response to the acts of God in our lives as individuals, in our life together as a community of faith, to God acting in the world. And so I have three questions I want us to think about this week. How would our worship look if it truly became about sacrifice? How would our worship change if it became a response to the grace and to the mercy and love of Almighty God? And how might this kind of worship form us into the people God longs for us to become in this world and the kingdom to come? This morning we talked about the heart of worship, what it's really about. Next week we're going to talk about uh, the work of the people. If you read the Creek Connections <coughs> newsletter, I talked about worship as work. And we'll talk more about how that work that we do every week forms us. And then we'll talk uh, in, the, in the third week about orderliness and openness. How different ways of viewing God and different traditions and practices point us to a God who is outside of our tiny boxes. This morning as we close in worship, we're going to sing a hymn that's geared towards 
sacrifice. It's familiar to many of us. It's take my life. It's found in the brown hymnal on number 597. We're going to sing verses 1, 5, and 6 this morning.